Sunday, December 20th, 2015. I am Larry H. Russell, and this is Celtics Beat being presented today by Linda and Tick IQ. TIQ IQ already has the cheapest tickets for all Boston sports, and now with their mobile app, you can save 10% more on tickets to any live event. You can set price alerts to be notified when tickets within your price range become available, as well as see all the top deals for games at the Garden, Gillette, and on the road. They aggregate all ticket sellers on one platform and have the most competitive prices out there. Head to the Apple App Store now to download the TickIQ app and start saving today. That is T-I-Q-I-Q. Use the promo code BOSTON for 10% off your first purchase. And in the coming weeks, we will be giving away a pair of tickets to see the Celtics face Paul Pierce and the Los Angeles Clippers in Boston in February, courtesy of Tick IQ. So stay tuned to the show to see how you can win. This is the 136th edition of Celtics Beat, which will feature radio play-by-play voice of the Boston Celtics, Sean Grandy of 98.5 FM, the Sports Hub, and Ian Thompson of NBA.com. Celtics, they throw up the donut this week. 2015 was a great year for this team during the calendar year, but this was probably the worst week of said calendar year. Well, maybe besides the week that Danny traded for David Lee in July. But perspective, people, they are 14-13 and 13 despite that piss-poor week the team had with those two home losses. Lost two games this past week that you felt they had a good chance of winning going back to the Detroit game on the road on Wednesday. But 14-13, and 13, and now they have some winnable games on tap. So now's the time I feel this team should go on a little bit of a run here. I think, too, starting the 27th, the team has something like six straight games against the utter dregs of the league. So there's that. If this team is still 500 on January 7th-ish, then there are some gripes. No gripes here yet. We already got our guests ready to rock and roll with us. Up first, Sean Grandy, one of my favorite guests we've had on this show. He's back again. And thus, this interview is sponsored by my favorite sponsor on Celtics Beat, AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. Christmas is just about here, but you still have time to capitalize on some of the great deals on AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. Forget the games. Holiday dinners are the backbone of all family get-togethers. And if you want to treat your guests to the best, then it can be not suggested enough. Get your meat from AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. You will not find anything more delicious than that of AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. Why? Simple. AFN's family ranchers raise and harvest their animals on small family farms, meaning their animals are treated with the utmost care, being fed USDA certified organic diets while living humane lifestyles. Take my word for it. You must experience the difference between eating meat not raised in industrial farms that you're likely to find at your local grocery store. American Farmers Network's beef is 100% grass-fed, giving it that tender taste and riveting flavor. And most importantly, a cascade of nutrients available in one of nature's purest superfood, pasture-raised meat. Don't wait long. Holiday sales are taking place now on AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. And here's to good health, and here's to our guest, Sean Grandy, radio play-by-play voice of the Boston Celtics. Sean, I said this in the opening, the team had a great year during the calendar year of 2015, but what in the blue hell happened this past week? Yeah, it was a uh, rough stretch. I think that it, it's a very strange time. You know, as we're talking now, Celtics, a game over 500. A lot of those close games that got away early coming back to bite them. I don't think this week, you know, you lose to Golden State, you lose to Cleveland. You certainly can live with that, especially with the bounce-back win in Charlotte. In between, the Detroit game is one of those crazy games that, you know, is going to happen. But in the big picture, here the Celtics are out of the playoffs in the Eastern Conference with a over 500 record and a scoring differential that is far better 
than their record. They're still, I think, around the, in the top ten probably in terms of scoring differential, yet 10th place in the Eastern Conference. Last year, 10th in the Eastern Conference was 21st in scoring differential, which gives you an indication of the turnaround. But I think the body of work for the Celtics has been better than I expected. The record is about what I expected. I think also, too, that it has to really to do with the schedule. I mean, now the Celtics schedule, I think they have some tricky games coming up this week. They were in Charlotte again. They were in Detroit again. But the schedule is now beginning to lighten up, Where particularly after Christmas. You said before, or at least I said to myself before the year, I'll take 14 and 13 this time of year, especially considering that after Christmas, this team should be able to rip off some games. Well, you certainly have to like the homestand coming in the first four games, uh, the first five games yeah, actually coming out of once you get back from Detroit, you get the three game homestand with the Knicks, the Lakers, and the Nets at Brooklyn, home and home, and then a home game against Detroit uh, before you go on the road again. So there's certainly opportunity there. But now we're, it's, there's, it's a double edged sword. There's opportunity there, but now in the year three with Brad Stevens, the expectations were so high, artificially high after last year, combined with the new Eastern Conference, what was, hey, an opportunity is now more of, you know, we're talking about the Minnesota game, the Monday night game against Minnesota. I started to creep that little must-win term in there, given the new East and the way it's stacking up. A three-game losing streak and two road games coming up, and the odds of going down, you know, Charlotte's really good this year. The odds of going down there twice in 10 days and winning both games down there are not, (laughs) <laughs> that good. So all of a sudden, home games against Minnesota, home games against the Knicks and the Lakers and the Pistons coming up and the Suns in January. Um, these are games now that you have to win, especially considering over this calendar year, which actually just a half season, take like a 41 game slice of, you know, since March of last year. The Celtics are 14 and 6 on the road, 10 and 11 at home. So that obviously had 10 and 11 at home. He's not going to get the Celtics. Losses. It's 500 at home. It's not going to get you in the playoffs in the East anymore. They've had some a few kind of weird home losses. Like even when they during this Brad Stevens stretch of starting really last January, really, or even like when they had that West Coast trip last January, they've had a few like weird home losses. Such as I mean, they had two really bad losses against Miami at home at the end yep. of last year. They had a terrible loss against the Pistons in overtime. They've had a few games this year where they've just come out really flat at home. Indiana, they had a game earlier this year where they just really didn't have much. Obviously, Dallas. It is sort of interesting that you brought that up because it's really sort of rejoggled my mind. And I'm just thinking of, like, right off the top of my head, some very, I mean, I would say Friday night. I know Atlanta was in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, and they won 60-some games. But they're not playing well this year, particularly recently. Nope. They've lost something like four out of the past five games. They were not coming Winnable game. Good basketball, and it was a it was not a good game. It was nothing really no. good you can take out of Friday night. No, and I think that there wasn't. And uh, you know the Celtics messed around with the game early and committed a bunch of turnovers, and they were up by and it got by ten in the second quarter. And again, they probably should have been up by twenty. Good teams up by twenty at that point if they're playing well. I mean, the first quarter of the game Friday night was you know that was I just took my son yesterday to see the the, the Polar Express because it's Christmas time. That was the bipolar Express. The uh, that first you know. 15 minutes of the game last night, which is crazy turnovers and guys hitting each other in the head with the ball. And, uh, yeah, you can't the, – the Celtics are the 1980 Herb Brooks Olympics, U.S. Olympic team. They're not, as he always told them, you're not talented enough to win on talent alone. You know, that's, that's the, the, both the beauty and the curse of this team is that 
they're not, they can't take their foot. The new big three teams that were winning 45 games with Hall of Fame talent, they took their foot off the gas pedal. They did it strategically to be ready for the playoffs. This team cannot take its foot off the gas pedal. They're not good enough to do that. And, but when they play hard, obviously they can compete you know, with anybody. But what makes them so, one of the many things that makes them so much fun, the effort level obviously is crazy high, which is a beautiful thing to say. They are the most unpredictable NBA team I have ever you can't, come you can't bet on this last year. It's brutal, and that's the it's it's. But which is you know, it's listen. If you're into, let's say you have a particular interest in a financial interest in what you believe is your knowledge of basketball and how things are going to go, and you like to ride on the outcomes with certain you're things. On the Celtics. You don't want it. You want to stay. I know you want to stay away from the Celtics because last year they made the playoffs. You're talking about those home losses. Every time they lost one of those games, you're talking about. They went on the road the next night and won. I can't tell you how many times I gave Max a little, uh, you know, off the air throat slash, meaning no way, no, no way the playoffs are happening. You know, they'd lose at home, and I, you know, I'd give Max a, that's it, no way. And then the next night, <laughs> go on the road and win, and they'd get right back in it. And it was all those road wins and those back-to-back wins that kept piling up. That streak that you know I was documenting pretty heavily, and it almost got extended in the Detroit game. I finally looked up, because it's a really hard thing, records are incomplete in the NBA, but I finally looked up five of the best teams of the last 40 years to see how many road back-to-back games they had won consecutively. And the 96 Bulls, the best team of all time, record won eight. That, eight. Right, that was <laughs> record-wise. That, that team won eight in a row. Uh, some of the other best teams, you know, the 08 Celtics, six was their high number. Golden State last year, their high number was five. And the Celtics won ten. That's a 35% win scenario, a back-to-back game on the road. You're going to lose basically two out of every three, and they won 10 in a row and very nearly won again on Wednesday. I know it's funny, too. I remember back in 2011, the Shaq year, and how good that Celtics team was. They couldn't beat anybody on a back-to-back. They could not beat Charlotte on a back-to-back. They were the best team in the league that year. They could literally not win. I think they went to Cleveland on the second game of the year after they beat Miami at home. Beat Miami, opening night, yeah. They played Cleveland, who was by far the worst team in the NBA that year, and they stunk it up. They could not beat anybody on a back-to-back. But talking about sort of the talent level on this team and what they have to do to win games, I agree with you certainly there. And one of the things that sort of I'm thinking about with this team, in a way – I, I feel like they've plateaued with this group. I feel like there are some slight improvements that this particular group has made. We're not getting into the thing, oh, trade for a player, draft a player, this. But I think some of the slight improvements that they could make are, I think, some of the veteran players towards the end of games or in tense situations where maybe there's a little adverse scenarios, things aren't going too well. They seem to, they seem to sort of get away from what Brad Stevens wants them to do or even actually what the fans want them to do. And they really don't seem to manage those adverse situations well. I think that's sort of the last hurdle for this team. I think that would help them a little bit more in the consistency department. But how big do you think that – how much of an impact could that have? Is that a trivial impact? Or could that really add, say, five to six wins for this team uh, for this season? I think that's a pretty advanced analysis and very realistic. Another way to phrase it is end of games go a lot better when you've got LeBron James or Kevin Durant or somebody like that to finish the game for you. You know, without a superstar player, you're really hurt in two situations. You're hurt at the end of games 
uh, when you need a when you need a big play or you need a call or you need something, and obviously you're hurt in the playoffs. That's the difference between the Celtics as a regular season team and you know and being the best team or one of the best teams, if not the best in the NBA, four through ten on your roster is awesome in the regular season until you get into the playoffs and your one through three is going against the one through three on the other side. That's LeBron, Kyrie, and Kevin Love. So that, you know, I think some of it is a roster composition, not through anybody's fault. It's just that, you know, Danny Ainge has acquired the best possible players he can acquire, much to the chagrin of some people who didn't, you know, didn't want the team to win as many games as they did last year. But it's, it's the fortunate and unfortunate reality of having a team that is without that quote-unquote star player. Although, it's funny, we, we, Max and I were talking about this this week, we've got to sit down and kind of draw out the 12 or 13 guys. I'm not sure, I can't really see Isaiah getting left off the all-star team right now, the way it's going. We're another whatever we are, a month, four to six weeks away from, you know, a lot of things can happen. And another thing that we're talking about, you're saying, well, there's something missing. There is something missing from the Celtics right now. His name is Marcus Smart. And that's very significant. <laughs> we, Max and I, again, talked about this last night. You can go for a short period of time. You can go for a few games without a key component. But eventually, teams will catch up and start you know, hitting you at that weakness. And that's a big difference, especially against a team like Atlanta. Look at, look at the games, the two games that Atlanta beat the Celtics and the one game that they didn't. Marcus Smart not only was involved in the game that they won, he played a very significant role in stopping Kyle Korver. And it's, uh, you're asking Isaiah Thomas to, to guard Jeff Teague. He did a much better job last night, and obviously it was Schroeder that you know, was, the, was the difference in the game. But we said the beauty of the Celtics at the start of the year is you could lose one guy and get away with it because there isn't that key component. But you don't want to lose one of your key guys for a long period of time, and whether it's Isaiah or Marcus Smart. I'd say that's a pretty good way to put it as well. But even as much as negative as we are about this team sort of at this very moment, I still feel like you mentioned the point differential and everything, and it, it, it still feels like while we've never, as well as this team has played under Brad Stevens, outside of, I think they were 7-1 and one in April last year, they've never really been able to string together like a run, like winning 12 out of 14 or something like that. And every time they get one or two nice wins on the road, it goes back to what we said earlier, what you brought up as well, they suffer like a bad home loss. They've never been able to put together a run. I still, I, I'm getting the sense that there is going to be, in the near future, particularly with this crappy schedule coming up, that this team is, should be able to string together something and get that real first real run of the last year and a half, which is what we've been expecting with this, as well as the teams in playing with Brad. Yeah, I think it's possible. I just, I, I look at the Celtics roster, and I'm not sure I see a team that's going to win. 12 out of 14 games. Just, you know, again, the schedule is going to play out the way it's played. It's a very strange schedule to try to piece together because you can say, well, they played constantly playing teams with a winning record, but I know it's a weird league. The, the new NBA, so most of the teams are going to have a winning record. So that's going to be a misleading stat when you see it. It's like, oh, this is so many games against a team with a winning record. You know, you got 10 teams in the East, and I'm not sure what it looks like today, but another six or seven probably yeah, in the West. Yeah, was one and, team yeah. in the playoffs just in the West. Right, you're right, in the West. And, yeah, it's funny. I haven't heard anybody in the West uh, complain oh, about yeah, the conferences. Thing. I know. Thank you. Yeah, that's gone away, hasn't it? That's gone away much of that. good. Um, and that's, uh, you know, it is. Listen, we have two, uh, let's say Cleveland and Oklahoma City are in the conversation just for the sake of it. So we've got what's happened this year is we've got four runaway teams at the top. We've got three or four runaway teams at the bottom, and everybody else is largely interchangeable. I haven't seen enough. I've watched a little of Phoenix and a little of Denver, but not enough to get a real 
you know, feel for are are Charlotte and Indiana and Boston are they really significantly better than Phoenix and Denver and those teams? They might be. I just don't. You know, I'm not comfortable enough yet. I haven't seen enough of those teams to decide that. I think you'll see teams drop off a little bit, Minnesota, but I think the East. It's not going to be as insane as it is right now with two two or three games separating two through ten. It'll separate, but not that dramatically. And I think the tenth place team could be at you know thirty nine forty wins where the Celtics were last year. And I'll go back to something I said on opening night when I was asked to try to evaluate the big picture because everybody wants to take the next step forward. And okay, you went to the playoffs last year, so you had to win a round in the playoffs this year. I said, you know what? There's a couple things that can happen here. The Celtics could win forty two games this year be improved, suffer some injuries, lose a lot of close games, which is what's happened here, have a much better year, and in a fluke, miss the playoffs on a tiebreaker or by a game, but still could be better off as a franchise. Or option two, they could win 43, 44, 45 games, maybe more, end up in the opposite bracket of Cleveland, and win two rounds in the playoffs, and you may not, and who... Who got you there? Is it Amir Johnson and David Lee? Sean, you know, all, the way it, it looks right now. On, it all hinges on the Nets pick. How we it, look at this franchise it, on May 22nd, and I usually use that day because May 22nd, 2007, but how we look at this franchise at the end of May in June all hinges on the Nets pick. Let's say behind door number one is you miss the playoffs, 39 wins, but the Nets get the first pick. And then door number two is 46 wins. You win a round in the playoffs. You go six games in the second round. Door number one, we're throwing, we're having a parade in the streets. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how it works. And I think there's too much. Listen, I've I've been around this too too long. It's it's also the reality, unfortunately. It it is. And I know people are, you get obsessed with, we're going to see, you know, Carl Anthony Towns on Monday night and Andrew Wiggins. And these are top picks. Okay. How long is it going to be until they are ready? There's, there's a gap. There are very few players. There are very few LeBrons. And by the way, Kevin Durant. Something about Kevin Durant and Dirk Nowitzki. Two guys who came into the NBA and were so atrocious defensively their first couple of years, they were liabilities to their team. They're obviously going to be Hall of Famers, but, boy, there's that gap. Even when Westbrook came in the league, it took a couple of years. So if the Celtics landed Ben Simmons, this could be a, that's a generational talent. But I think that Celtic fans are the last ones that need reminding. If the Nets end up with the worst record in the NBA, which they won't, they won't no. you, which they won't anyway, let's say they did end up with the worst record, they'd have a 25% chance. Okay. The odds of the, of the Nets pick, and this is, this is, is, is going to harsh everybody's mellow, and it's a buzzkill thing to say, and it's stabbing in the dark at math. But I believe the odds of the Nets pick – as we talk today, being the number one pick in the draft are under 10%. So think about that when people say, oh, I'd never give up that Nets pick for this player or that player. Okay, that's because in your mind you've made up your mind that you're getting Ben Simmons somehow. But at the same time, at the same time, and this is a good transition to another topic, at the same time there seems to be nobody on the horizon whatsoever. Like there's no one at all that could potentially be on the trade market that you could say, yeah, this guy, like, there's no Garnett 07 out there. There's no Pau Gasol 2008 out there. There's no Chris Paul. There's, and there's no one who could potentially be like that out there. Well, there are guys. I don't think, I don't know how out they're going to be. I think everybody would be wandering Anthony Davis situation in New Orleans. I agree with I, that. My, my, the question on the floor is, and again, 
we all we do, and this is a very human nature thing to do, we look back at what the last thing to happen was and think it's going to happen that way again. And I think a lot of people got caught up in this notion that Danny was somehow going to be able to package all the players again and do this Kevin Love, Rondo thing. Back two years ago, and people were actually under the delusion that yeah, Rondo could be a part of a championship game. Carmelo, it's all yeah. going to happen again. We'll get Carmelo and Kevin Love. Yeah. And I was guilty of it, too, because I think people had started thinking the other way, and I was, during that first Brad Stevens year, I was saying, wait a minute, there's the, the, the game, is, everything is still in play. But that was a once-in-a-generation confluence of events and a certain player being available. My, my question, the rhetorical one is, and it says nothing to do with the history and the banners and whatever, because for the next guy that comes, if there is that next guy, it's not about Havlicek and Kuzi and Ru- It's about Pierce and Garnett and Rondo and Ray Allen and Doc Rivers. And the reception those guys got when they came back, I thought was the most significant thing of the 13-14 season, because I believe somewhere there is another elite player in the world that says, I, I want to be that. I'd love to be that next guy in Boston. I want to be the next guy to put a banner up there. I want to be the next guy who gets his number up there. And if somebody is if that mythical guy, whoever it is, is smart enough, he's got to look at a roster that's put together the way it's put together, and a coach who is everything that people say that he is, and say, I could be that guy there. And when it comes down to, hey, I want to play, I, I play for the money, or I want to be live in Miami. Okay, that's great. But if guys really want to win, you're a superstar player and you want to win, and you're looking for the right city, where it's a great city to win, a core roster that could help you win, and a coach on the rise who could help you win, uh, who's ahead of Boston on that list? Well, feel free to pass this podcast along to Kevin Durant when he comes here next month, and you can say that to him. Exactly. That, that, that's going to be, and by the way, obviously Washington thing, that's going to be, I think they come pretty late in the year. So that'll probably, I mean, that's going to be a thing. That's like March, middle of March. So write that down. That'll be a thing. Uh, I'm discussing it on this week's show with Unfiltered. I actually yeah. even, Rox, I did a little man on the street segment regarding Kevin Durant in Boston. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I, I discussed that as well. Yeah, the Lakers stink, the, the, Wiz- the Wizards stink. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, that, that LaMarcus City, Aldridge but... thing was devastating to the Lakers, not just that they didn't get him, but how he came out publicly, because that would just put a voice and a face to what everybody has been thinking all along, which is that the Lakers aren't the Lakers anymore. Well, I mean, and what, what, what really hurt them with Kobe, keeping Kobe, is that a lot of guys didn't want to go there because Kobe was still there. That they don't want still Kobe's team. People so, have this obscene perception that all the Lakers are just go get whatever. I, I'm going to say this a little on un, unfiltered. Only two players, two of the top 25 players in NBA history, Shaq and LeBron, have changed teams via free agency during yeah. their prime. And everybody thinks all oh, the Lakers they'll just add someone. The Lakers have always been competitive. They've never really been in a situation where they have been this bad in their entire time in Los Angeles. So now we'll see. I mean, the Knicks have never really just been adding. Players, I mean, their their top free agent signings are like Allen Houston, Amare, Larry Johnson. So I think the Lakers are sort of in that situation themselves. I don't yeah, think any of these top talents are going to be banging down the door to play for them. Last now question. Finish, you know how everybody will make a bold prediction and nobody ever admits when they were wrong or they never like follow up saying, hey, I said that and it didn't happen. I really thought the, my wild card, I thought LeBron would actually stay in Miami, but my wild card for LeBron, my wild card for any of these guys, by the way, Anthony Davis, this thing that I'm talking about when I talk about teams, places you'd want to go, the one wild card for me, and this is elite of the elite, it's why I thought LeBron 
actually would consider it because there is one thing available in the NBA that can put you on a different plateau, that can make you immortal in basketball, one thing that nobody has done in 40-plus years, and that is to win a championship in New York. I know. And that's why I wondered – that was sort of my – I know I was all alone on that island, and obviously with good reason, as it turns out. But I really thought that might be something LeBron would consider. And I think that, that to me, among the elite players, if I was of that mindset, if I was an elite player in the NBA and I was thinking about not money but my legacy and winning and where I would want to win, that's immortality. None of these guys seem to grasp. Like It's funny. You no, if you ask the average NBA fan, no one could probably tell you when the last time the Knicks have won the championship, 1973. Yep. And in reality, that's one of the most horrifying title droughts in all the sports when you consider how much basketball yep. means to New York, more so than I think than any other city in the NBA. Got to ask you this real quick. There are some trade rumors that were reported that weren't even trade rumors this past week. There were actually people's ideas on websites. I'm not even going to get into that. But do you think this team could use a shake-up at all in any way? I know at this time last year they needed the shake-up. They got the shake-up. Do you think this team could possibly trim a little fat? I think that would be ideal for Brad Stevens. I think no coach really – it's nice to have depth, and it's nice to have that game the other night where you can throw Zeller and Jarebko in to hack Andre Drummond, and then they end up having a good game and almost give you a chance to steal it. But, you know, in a perfect world, you would prefer to have that. I think the thing is if it's not – if you're not giving up two or three players to dramatically improve your roster and get a, you know, a star player or a high-level player, you're almost better off you know, having the depth as long as you've got a good locker room and a strong locker room where you can manage it. I, think, I don't think a, deal, I think a deal is going to be made. If Danny makes a deal, it's going to be like an Isaiah Thomas deal that incrementally makes you better or, or sets up the next – you know, everything – you can't really argue much with anything the Celtics have done. They put themselves in position for that grand slam. You know, they put themselves in that spot. The count's 3-0, and but are, you know, is anyone going to pitch to them? Is anyone going to put one over the plate? That's, that's the question because you can't, you can't make – it's like, hey, I, I, I want to hit a three-run home run at the plate, but I can't make the pitcher. He may walk me. He may not want to throw me a strike. And obviously in 2007, there's a big fat one over the plate, and Danny was ready to, to capitalize it on it. The situation is there again. But is anyone going to want to make that trade? I, I can tell you this. Uh, there are GMs that are reticent now to deal with Danny. It's what happens. That's the, that's the downside of making good deal after good deal. Mike Woman Not just Garnett, well. but you have a chance. The, the, the Nets deal could turn out to be one of the greatest deals in NBA history by the time it's all said and done. So n- there are teams, I'm sure, that are going to be a little bit reticent. Look at, how, look at the, Ron- I mean, the, the Rondo thing last year. That's a 30 for 30. A year ago, what if I told you the Celtics would trade Rajon Rondo for Jay Crowder and far and away get the better of the deal? That nobody would. That that was people went crazy a year ago because nobody really wanted to believe. You know, Rondo just invokes crazy emotion on both sides of the Rondo argument. When truthfully, if you have a strong opinion about if when Rondo got traded, you went. Thank God, that's the greatest thing that's ever happened. Yeah. Or, I can't believe they traded Rondo, my life is over. You don't get Rondo. If you, if you felt that strongly, if you were on one side crazy or the other, it was just way too, he's way too complicated a player and way too complicated a person to have that kind of conclusion. But the numbers are, you know, the numbers when they come to Rondo are as about as cut and dry as you can get. The Celtics have just been significantly better, even when he was here and not playing. 
the Celtics were better when he was out of the lineup than he was in, in just about every possible metric. But, you know, the, the Danny, the point being, Danny's made all these little moves, and the team has gotten much better, far better than we had any right to expect. Think about a team like Minnesota coming in here Monday night. You know how many cold, empty, 25-win winters they have been through in the years that there was no Kevin Garnett in Minnesota? They've had, where are we, 19, 25, 26. They've had about 14 or 15 years in their history without Kevin Garnett. And I think maybe once they came close to 500. Sean yeah. Randy, radio play-by-play voice for the Boston Celtics. You can follow Sean on Twitter, at Sean Grandy. P-B-P. Sean, thanks so much for stopping by once again. You got it, guys. Always a pleasure. We'll be back after a quick word with Ian Thompson of NBA.com here on Celtics Beat. Cruise back to the 80s on the first ever 80s cruise. That's right. Seven days in the most radical party to ever hit the high seas with a totally awesome lineup of artists that define the sound of the decade. Join Huey Lewis in the News, Richard Marks, Starship, Cool in the Gang, A Flock of Seagulls, Modern English, Naked Eyes, Tiffany, Wang Chung, and Jesse's Girl, the ultimate 80s party band, and the original MTV VJs, Nina Blackwood, Mark Goodman, and Alan Hunter. As we cruise to exotic ports of call like Grand Turk, San Juan, St. Thomas, and the private island of Half Moon Key, we're going all out by building an 80s video game arcade with Donkey Kong, Mario Brothers, and of course Pac-Man, movies like Ferris Bueller and Pretty in Pink and there'll even be a VJ contest don't forget to pack your best 80s looks because we're having a prom night a movie costume party, pajama party and neon beach party you can't miss this, sailing from February 28th through March 6th, 2016 for the most gnarly vacation ever for more information, log on to the80scruise.com or call 844-384-8080 Welcome back into the show. Got another great guest waiting here patiently, and he will be here very soon. A wily veteran of the NBA media, and now a wily veteran of this show. That's Ian Thompson of NBA.com and NBA TV. Our interview with Ian is brought to you by Harry's. Wake up to Harry's, a better way to shave with cost-effective razors and products designed to give you the highest quality shaving experience possible. Say goodbye to money going down the drain with utterly absurd arm and leg prices for drugstore razor blades and say hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, likely a good morning to the smoothest shave you will have for a minuscule fraction of the price. Not just a fraction, but a minuscule fraction of the price. Start shaving and saving today. Simply sign up for an account with harrys.com and get a Truman set, which is Harry's starters kit for $10. A Truman set includes a razor, shaving cream or gel, and one month's worth of blades for, again, all of $10. I repeat, a razor, shaving gel or cream, and one full month's worth of blades for $10. No tax, no shipping costs within the U.S. So I repeat, $10. By simply mentioning Celtics upon checkout. That's Celtics upon checkout. And if you do not love your first shave, return to harrys.com for a full refund. You cannot lose here. That's Celtics for a Truman set at harrys.com. Ian, welcome back, man. I've got to ask you, had you on a few times over the years now. Favorite discussion I've ever had with you. We are now on the cusp of 2016. Want to turn the clock back two years to 2014. Asked you this then, and you were sort of 
unsure of the direction of where the Celtics and some of their rivals were. At the time, all four teams were at the bottom of the league, they being the Knicks, the Lakers, the 76ers, and, of course, the Celtics. They were all fighting for the number one pick in that infamous 2014 draft. Here we are. We're just about here two years later. Now, which of those four teams are you most confident in that they will get back to where their fans want them to be? You know, it's. I think it's a great question all the time, uh, and it's got no easy answer. Um, but I would say based on the trade with the Nets and the access to the Nets' uh, top draft pick over the next three years um, – and just where they are as a franchise, uh, I, I just feel like the, the Celtics have a lot of things figured out uh, that the 76ers clearly don't, that the Lakers clearly don't. And the other one is Chicago? No, the Knicks. Oh, the Knicks. And the Knicks clearly don't. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, uh, I just see the, the Celtics as being a very structured organization. Danny Ainge is the basketball guy. Brad Stevens, they love, as they should, as their coach. Uh, They feel very strongly that that the future is solid with him. And uh, they like the values of of the organization. I think the fans of the Celtics feel the same way. Um, They they have a lot of young players. Uh, Is anyone on this roster right now going to become a superstar? Maybe, maybe not. But Probably not. They're they're all yep. They're all going. To, they've all improved uh, since last season. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And you can see that. At least myself, I'll speak for myself. I can see by the end of the year, uh, there's going to be several players on this team that are going to have more value at the end of the year than they had at the end of last year. And uh, when you combine that with uh, the draw of Brad Stevens. Uh, you know, he's not certainly not going to be a negative. Players are, are going to want to play for him. Now, will they come here for him? I don't know about that, but he's he's certainly not a negative as a coach might be in some other markets, uh, some other uh, NBA cities, big or small. Uh, and then just the fact that this, this trade with the Nets gives them uh, the chance to dream of getting their hands on one or two young superstar type players or having a pick that you could turn into a trade that would enable you to acquire one of those guys. So it's almost like they have the best of both worlds. Now they can try to win games this year and try to make the playoffs and improve their team. And at the same time, uh, have this dream of winning the lottery and having access to one of the top players in the draft. So it's, I think they're the team out of all of the four that you've mentioned here, Larry. They're the team that, that has the, the, the best future right now. It's not only what the Celtics are doing. Obviously, they know they have their coach. These other teams do not. They have a respectable situation, which has garnered the attention of opposing players and coaches around the league. The Knicks, the Lakers, and the Sixers do not have this, not by a long shot. So I think the Celtics, not even talking about all they've accomplished in this last year now, and again, despite the past week that they had going on three, but still a good season so far and a good season at the end of the year last year as well. 
But despite not even what they've accomplished, they're in this spot by default, especially when comparing them to these other three situations here in Philadelphia, New York, and Los Angeles. And something that I think that's very relative to what we're discussing here is I think there's now as great of an emphasis on not just getting high draft picks, but developing the players. You see a team like Philadelphia, Ian, they're getting high draft picks, but their environment is miserable. It's Clipper-like, so you're not really seeing anybody get better down there. But it's harder than ever to make a trade now. No one's giving up anybody. Free agency has always been the great unknown. And with the Celtics having the foundation that they've coupled with coming with these next picks the next three years, is that not the trump card in this? Yeah, I think I think it's very difficult to make a trade for that great player. And usually the only time you can make a trade like that is if the player demands a trade, as Carmelo did uh, a few years ago, or if a guy just is really down and his value is bottomed out, um, which is how Rondo got traded, you know, but or he's not how that guy, uh, though. no, no, but at the time there, was, I mean, there was a time when people thought he was, uh, and it didn't pan out, and then there were, and then go back to the Chris Webber trade when he bottomed out, and uh, I would put him basically in the same, uh, it was the same kind of dynamic as with Rondo, except in Chris Webber's trade, he did come back up again, and he lifted that Sacramento Kings franchise up and into a contender. So that's the way, and so I guess I'm pointing out that those kinds of trades are gambles. You don't really know what you're going to get. Are you going to get uh, Rondo, or are you going to get, the Chris Weber that helped turn Sacramento and to really one of the memorable teams of the last 20 years. So, uh, but your point's well taken. It's, it's going to be very hard to make that kind of trade, especially over the next few years, because the TV money, as we all know, is going to go up like crazy over the next two summers. And so the, the normal concerns of finances and uh, the salary cap and the luxury tax those are going to go out the window for most teams over the next couple of years. Uh, every team, whether they've uh, been smart with their budget or not, they are going to have cap space now. And so that, that, um, that motivation for trading a player that used to exist because you didn't want to pay him or you couldn't afford him or you'd spend too much on other guys, well, that, that's not going to be available to the Celtics now as a motivator to get teams to trade with them. So uh, I, I just – I, that's one of the reasons why I, I agree with you that the, the draft picks are just an amazing uh, asset for the Celtics to have, uh, the Nets draft picks, I say. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and so their, their process, and I think this is what we talked about last time we spoke, Larry, that it's going to be an internally driven thing. They're just going to keep trying to build up their team within and improve the players within on a daily basis. That's right in Brad Stevens' wheelhouse. He's great at that, um, along with a lot of other things. And um, that's just where they're going. And it's not a bad plan. And when you compare the other teams you mentioned, it's a it's a really solid plan. It's a plan that should inspire some faith. It's It's a plan. It's a plan. I'm not sure, obviously, teams like Philadelphia or the Lakers really have much of a plan outside of throwing mud against the, up against the wall and seeing if it sticks. Hey, one of these high draft choices, maybe they'll work out. But I think no, now— You know what, though, Larry? I would say Philadelphia definitely has a plan. 
I mean, they absolutely have a plan. And the one you could criticize them for holding to their plan too devoutly. They've been very religious about it. The plan is to to get uh, as many high draft picks, as much access to the high picks in the draft as they can, and to see if any of them pan out. And they've been willing to basically sabotage their own team for three years now to try to do that. So they've, they've had a plan. It's just we'll have to see how that plan pays out. But now the I, 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 don't, see, I, don't I just don't think it's working. And I'm pointing to a guy like Nerlens Noel, who's already beginning to regress and that's sometimes what can happen with young players. You remember the Clippers way back in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s. They'd get some young guys in there. They come out. They you know they play well. And they say, "Well, look at this player. He's going to work out in a few years." But after years and years of losing, they eventually just there were so many oh, no, players listen, that the Clippers listen, had, and it just had a terrible effect on them. And I'm no, wondering I'm if you're seeing you. that with I'm a guy with like Nerwin's Noel. No, no, no. I'm with you. I think I think lo- trying to lose or not trying to win, it's a complicated thing. Um, but not not being able to win, not having a hope of winning, that's a terrible environment in which to raise players. Uh, clearly, the 76ers coaches try to win every game. Their players play hard every game. It's It's almost unfathomable how hard they play in spite of all the evidence that they have no hope. But they come out and they play hard all the time. They give themselves chances to win some, quite a few of these games, actually, but they're just not capable. They don't have the talent. I agree with you. Is the plan not working? Uh, it, it doesn't appear to be right now. They had to bring in Jerry Colangelo. They brought in Mike D'Antoni as an associate head coach. But it's definitely a plan. It's, it's definitely a plan. We just don't yeah. know. Whether we, it, we don't know for sure yet, but it, it's definitely a plan. It just seems like they're as far away, though, as you could possibly be. They're essentially relying on they have to get Ben Simmons, they ha- and then they have to get some other piece as well, just the same way the Lakers would have to get something that way, and even just the same way as the Celtics. I mean, I say the same thing when I'm looking at this season from a Celtics fan point of view. In my eyes, there would be no difference if this team missed the postseason or got to the postseason and won a round. But if that Nets pick turned out to be number one overall, that's really just changed entirely how we look at the franchise as opposed to, let's say, this team wins 45 games as opposed to 38. It's almost as much as we want to see this team overachieve, and even despite the poor week that they had going 0-3, as much as we want to see this team overachieve, no matter what happens, the whole morale of the fan base, the whole outlook of how outsiders look at this team changes instantly if uh, whoever, I know it's not Adam Silver, whoever's pulling the envelopes now these days pulls the Celtics out of the one envelope for a change. No, no, that, that'll, that's true with every team that gets that number one pick, especially in a year like this. Um, you know, though, let's just step back a bit. I I, I think I've been remiss here. The Knicks are actually in pretty good shape now. I mean, Carmelo is still in his prime years like Paul Pierce was. Paul, He's about where Pierce was when Garnett and Ray Allen came in. And this guy Porzingis looks like a future star. Yeah, he's sure. So they, they, have, him. they have two stars now. Mm. And that's, yeah. Porzingis you know, Carmelo's a little old. You mentioned Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce was 29 when they got Garnett and Allen. Carmelo's turning 32, I believe, at the end of the spring. I Carmelo, think that's the big three um, years. 
Carmelo is two inches taller than Pierce and uh, can play power forward until he's 38 or 39. He's not that. He's not a guy who uses his athleticism. He's um, he's a, a, a shooter, a post-up player. He's got all the old fundamental scoring skills. Um, I, I think he's got a long. He's got many years uh, based on the way he plays. It's not like Kobe with the, with the hops. So I, I think I think he can play for a long time. And uh, having the second star with him now, a guy who clearly is going to be a star, Porzingis, uh, that puts them on a different level than they were just a year ago. So Oh, there's no question they're in better shape. But if you're talking about Carmelo's future, I mean, I can count the guys on one hand who were – elite players in the NBA at 34, 35 years old. I think Jordan, Carl Malone, John Stockton was very good as well, but well, Kareem, obviously. But I think that's just about it. There was, I mean, playing at a very high level in the NBA past your early 30s is like, I mean, it's 0.0001%. Yeah, Steve Nash. There's quite a few right, right, in Nash this, in this modern modern but era. These are just, we're just naming, you know, singular individuals of the thousands of people that have played the game. We'll we'll see. We'll see. I, I think I think the way he plays is different from these other guys. He's he's not an athletic based player. He's a skills based player, and he's got the size and the strength to back it up. But we'll see. We'll see. Say you're out, you are Danny Ainge. Would you actually? This has come up come up a lot with me. A lot of people have asked this to me. I've sort of shot it down. I've I've actually always been a fan of Carmelo, and I would all be for the Celtics trading for a 28 year old Carmelo Anthony. But he's not 28; he's 32. Would you actually have any interest from a Celtics point of view in adding Carmelo Anthony to this team, knowing that this team's pretty much primary? goal towards taking a next step, as Danny Ainge just said this past week on radio, is to get a go-to wing score, quote-unquote. Obviously, you've spoken pretty highly of Carmelo at 31 going on 32 years old. Do you think that's something the Celtics should sort of explore this trade season, if there is ever that out there? Oh, I'm sure, but what would you have to give up? And I don't, I don't The think Nets pick you would not do, right? You would not do the Nets pick? Well, I, I, I just don't know... What, it would all depend on what Danny thinks of that pick. Um, you are Danny. No, no. <laughs> uh, I'm never going to pretend to be that because um, I just think it's wrong for guys in my position to try to ima- <clears throat> imagine, especially in the draft, what someone like Danny Ainge should do. I mean, when I think about all the money and time that, that these teams uh, invest in getting to know these young players – and then someone like me second guesses it. I, I just I've never felt comfortable with that. That it's that I could have any kind of the insight. I mean, these teams hire private investigators now to find out about the top players, and they look into the psychology of the players, and they talk to everybody who ever knew them. And the brain doctor. Yeah, every all of that. So I'm not going. Uh, and and there's been years when Danny thought. Danny thought Rondo was one of the top three picks in that draft, and he went 21st. And the years that Rondo had with the Celtics proved that Danny was right on that. So um, does Danny think that this guy Simmons is the real deal? Uh, that, that all depends. And 
you know, I, the, there's just too many moving parts to imagine, but I think it would be very, very difficult for the Knicks to trade Carmelo unless they felt like they were winning the trade or unless he forced his way out. And Carmelo's not going to force his way out of New York to come to Boston. And um, uh, they, after all they gave up and all the grief they've taken uh, for making the trade for Carmelo, they're not going to give him up now unless they feel like they're winning the trade and you'd have to give up too much to get him. But I do like him a lot, uh, an awful lot. I do see a lot of similarities between him and uh, Pierce and um uh, I, I think that he's still he's he's unusual uh, in this era of NBA players. Uh, uh, he's unusual because he doesn't have to jump to do what he does. Like Carl Malone didn't have to jump. So um, we'll see what happens with him. Um, but I, I don't see I don't see the Celtics having a chance at him. I want to shift gears here and definitely get to this topic because I had a fun little discussion with my friend Ian Eagle a little earlier this week. Ian is obviously in town for today's Patriots game against the Titans. And we're talking about football, and one of the things I mentioned to him was that I believe the NFL has sort of gone the way of the NBA now in that with such an advantage offenses have, and that's thank you Bill Polian and Jeff Fisher for whining as rules committee officials 10 years ago. But with the advantages offenses have now that if you don't have a star quarterback, you're going to find it very hard to win Super Bowls in that league. It's just like with the NBA, where if you don't have a star, you pretty much don't have a chance at winning the championship. Only the 2004 Pistons and 14 Spurs have won titles the last 30-some years without top 5 to 10 players on their roster. But the funny thing is, this year, we are seeing a lot more parity in the NBA. Granted, you have Golden State at the top of the mountain, but this year more than ever, we're seeing the league a little more competitive and unpredictable. Is this an anomaly year, or do you feel this is a result of the new CBA passed a few years ago, or some other theory? What say you, Ian? Well, part of it is um, that there's just so much more turnover on, in rosters every summer now than there was 10 years ago. Um, and uh, and so I, I think it takes teams uh, longer to pull themselves together and to develop their identity. And the identity of a team can change quite a bit from summer to summer. Um, whereas, you know, uh, even even during after the Celtics made the trade for uh, well, no, let's not. I think it predates that. But but there, it's not so long ago when NBA teams were were pretty solidly built, and there wasn't a lot of turnover. And now now they change quite a bit. At the end of the day, though, when we get into May, we're going to see that it's going to be Cleveland in the East, and right now they're on top of the East, yep. uh, in spite of all their injuries. And it's going to be Golden State or San Antonio; uh, those are going to be the two favorites in the West if they're healthy. Um, so. It is. There is a lot of parity, and it's really interesting to me that all of a sudden you have to have a winning record in the East to be a playoff team right now, whereas you can have a losing record in the West to make the playoffs. There's a rule reversal there for sure. Um, but right now the champion is in the West. The team that had the whole world watching them for the first month is in the West. Uh, the dominant franchise in pro sports is in the West, the Spurs, uh, and the best. Don't say that in a show that's Cleveland. broadcast mostly in Boston. No, the dominant franchise the last twenty years uh, is uh, the Spurs. So, um, um, yeah, it's uh, 
it, it is really interesting how muddled everything else is, but at the very top, it's very clear. I think my theory is, if I have the right to say that, my theory is sort of going back to what you said at the beginning of the interview. Teams are now far more inclined to hold on to their star player, players, whereas seven to ten years ago, it was almost, if you weren't an elite team, it was let's go with the Philadelphia model, and we'll just, you know, peel off this player to that, that team and let, say, the top four or five teams in the league consolidate the upper echelon players. Whereas, opposed to now, everyone's sort of trying to build their rosters organically and they're putting a premium on having an elite-level player, and therefore they're far less inclined to give someone up. And that's why you're seeing all, all these teams sort of muddle on in there at in and around 500, anywhere between you know, four to seven games over 500. But at the same time, you're right. Cleveland has no question about it, going to win the Eastern Conference 100%, obviously barring a LeBron James interview, uh, injury. And I'd even take it one step further. I think out West, barring a Steph Curry or Draymond Green injury, I don't think the Spurs have any shot out West of getting past Golden State. I know they've matched up well with them in years past. They beat them in the playoffs a few years ago, albeit Golden State was pretty young. But I'm willing to – if you told me right now that Steph Curry and Draymond Green – we're going to be healthy up until mid-June. I'd be willing to bet every nickel-dime dollar I have that they would win the championship this year. I think they're that far superior to the rest of the league. So in a way, there is a lot of parity in that there's a lot of good, okay to good teams, whereas opposed to it was you had four or five very good teams and the, almost the rest of the NBA stunk, as opposed maybe the West had a few decent teams. But there is sort of, I think, just one to three teams that have only the – no one else is a shrivel of a possibility of winning a championship outside of Cleveland, Golden State, and San Antonio. Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, um, those are the three teams for sure, Cleveland, Golden State, and San Antonio. <clears throat> but it's a long year. Uh, uh, trades can happen. Injuries are definitely going to happen. Right, obviously besides injuries. And, that's... and, I, and I, I, do, I do think the Spurs um, would be right there with the Warriors. Um, in the playoff series, in the seven-game series. The Warriors are a spectacular regular season team and a very good playoff team. But you saw last year that they, they, they were a different team in the playoffs. They struggled some because uh, in the seven-game series, uh, teams were able to match up with them better. The, it wasn't an, an anomaly playing the Warriors in the playoffs. You, you change the way you play to suit them, which you can't do during the regular season. And you saw that Curry and the Warriors struggled at times against this old-fashioned, uh, these old-fashioned big, strong lineups, defensive lineups from Memphis or uh, from from Cleveland. And you know, if, if Kyrie Irving hadn't got hurt, I I think there's a very, very good chance that Cleveland would have held on to their lead and won that series last year. So it would have changed everything we're talking about now. But um, you know, on the the issue of parity, Larry. Um, I think also this goes back to the the lockout a few years ago, and a goal of that lockout from the owner's point of view was to create some parity and to uh, prevent teams from um, uh, locking, uh, prevent all of the great players from going to a few teams and to sort of spread the wealth around. And uh, I think that's exactly what you're seeing happen, that, that – uh, there's more access, not to the elite talent, but 
to the the lesser tiers of talent among all the teams and and every team has some players now you know maybe not lebron or steph curry level players but every team has has uh, a guy or a couple of guys to look out for now so uh it's it, it's not the nfl model but it's more like the nfl than it ever was ian thompson nba.com ian going to let you have the last word right there because we can leave it where both you and i agree we all recall during that lockout it's december 2015 so let's take the time machine back to december 2011 you saw the charlottes and these other cities doing everything in their power not to have teams in major markets load up with other team stars that's why that chris paul trade went up in flames and hello los angeles lakers they are at the bottom of the nba right now especially with the 76ers not even qualifying as an nba team Yes, NBA now, there are an array of teams that think they're in a great spot. Not just the Celtics, and I know Celtics Nation, and I feel this way too. They feel their organization is in a great place, but so does a lot of other teams and a lot of other teams' fans. It's sadly, it's just going to be about who gets that stroke of luck, be it in the immediate future or in the distant future. Obviously, the Celtics have created maybe a few more avenues. They've increased their odds in so many other aspects as opposed to other teams, but hey... We'll find out more and more as each passing day goes on. And I'm standing, also staying with that as well, too. Golden State, that mortal lock to win the championship this year, pending health. But that's a good way to finish the show. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock, Chuck Dietz, Project R, and Steph Legrateau. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore beat. That's at Celtics underscore beat. And you can like Celtics beat on CLNS radio on Facebook to keep up with the show at facebook.com slash Celtics beat as well as Google plus Celtics beat on CLNS. Love to thank our guests, radio play-by-play voice for the Boston Celtics, Sean Grady of 98.5 Sports Hub FM here in Boston, as well as veteran NBA scribe Ian Thompson of NBA.com. And of course, our sponsors, Linda, Tick IQ, American Farmers Network, and Harry's for making this all possible. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, program director, Nick Chalso, and myself, the executive producer and host of Celtics Beat, I am Larry H. Russell. See you once again next Sunday with another edition of Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Radio.